Welcome to the Freedom Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are investing in your relationship with the Lord by listening to this message. Check out our YouTube channel for a complete log of all of our sermons. If you would like to know more about FC, visit our website at www.freedomfamily.us. God bless and remember that the best is yet to come. All right, good morning, Freedom Church. How are y'all doing this morning? So... For some of you uh, keen eye attendees, you may have noticed that I am not Pastor Terrell. He has taken a little bit of a moment to uh, rest up and just try to recharge before we hit this brand new year running. But uh, is it okay if I just take a moment and brag on our pastor just for a minute? So, absolutely. So, Pastor Terrell, between him and Miss Shanda, they got the calling on their hearts to start this church back in 2004. Two. And so as they were doing it, you know, they, they uh, did a building campaign. They built the old church over here. Then they had to expand it because it got too big. And then we got to the place where it was like three services, standing room only, and uh, it was time to build again. So we did another building campaign. We built this church and we gave that all to the kids. But through their efforts and through their faithfulness, we have been seeing so many people come through this church that have we're able to learn about a, a savior and his name is Jesus and now they are, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we've seen so much life change and I can tell you that Pastor T is the real deal. You've seen him shed tears up here on the stage and I can promise you that throughout the week he's doing that in his office as well. He is praying over this church, he is praying over this country, he's praying over this world because we're facing some things that, it, they're pretty foreign to us in this day and age. Like We didn't expect this, no one expected this, especially in America. We wouldn't have a pandemic, but he feels the weight of that. He sees the way that it weighs on the people that are throughout this church that are out in our community. He prays for that and he feels every bit about, of that. So if we can, let's just take a moment and let's just lift up a round of applause for our pastor. All right. So, Merry Christmas. I know it's not Christmas anymore. It's a day after Christmas, but because of the day after Christmas, I think that I get a pass. So, this is the last sermon of the year, and I don't have time to pull any punches, so I'm going to get right to the point. I need you to be really honest. I'm going to ask some really tough questions you have to answer, okay? So, how many of you got what you were wanting for Christmas this year? Okay, awesome. Here's the thing. I didn't see all the hands get raised. So, this is the one that really gets people in trouble. How many of you have someone sitting next to you that was responsible for getting said gift for Christmas? Oh, I don't, don't, you're not supposed to raise your hands, man. We're supposed to be building up the church, not building up walls or starting like post-Christmas fist fights. That's not what we're here to do. Sorry, it's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. My bad. So, I, I know I'm not alone in this, but... I used to love waking up early on Christmas morning, all right? It's the childhood memory that we have. We all, we go downstairs, we run out to the living room, whatever that looks like for you. We, we get the toys in there. And, you know, my generation, I am a child of the 80s and 90s. And I, I don't mean to go against, like, the way you've built your childhood, but I'm sorry, that was the best era. We had the best cartoons. And because we had the best cartoons, we had the best toys. We had the original Ninja Turtles. We had Voltron. We had Transformers. G.I. Joe. We had He-Man. I don't know if I mentioned that already. We had Thundercats. Mask. Y'all remember Mask? It's 
kind of weird, but it was cool. But we had all those. So we had all the toys for him, and it was absolutely awesome. And the only thing that sort of could stand out above those are like the video games that we had back then. Because we had the original Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64. There was a bunch of really cool ones that are out now, and it came out then. But these were the originals. I could still remember the smell of the plastic on Sunday, or, or Christmas morning as we're tearing open, open those boxes. We're hooking those things up you know, Super Mario 64 pops up on the screen and like, it just blew our mind. It was all 3D. It was really, really cool. Everyone has a different version of what that looks like. I know for uh, many of you joining us online, you're joining us online because you're traveling for Christmas and you're still wherever it is that you were with, whether it's family or friends, but you're traveling. And thank you for your faithfulness and making this a priority this morning. Maybe some of you here traveled, but maybe it was a week ago, two weeks ago. Everyone has something different. Mine was, you know, growing up, it was, it was a blend. It's sort of mixed up and different, but by and large, it was usually a week before Christmas we would go over to my, uh, my aunt's house and my grandmother's house, my mom's side of the family. We'd do Christmas there and, you know, chili or something like that was always the meal. Christmas Eve would be at my grandmother's house here in Hendersonville. And then uh, Christmas morning, we would wake up, we'd do our thing around the tree. And then we would usually go to my grandfather's house for sort of a late morning breakfast. And it was, it was really, really cool. But we all have our version of what that looks like. And, you know, we all have lots of different stops to make. It makes for a really busy time of the year. But Christmas Eve was always sort of a bit of a standout for us because we had eight cousins and we're all really close in age and we all grew up in the same town. We were more like brothers and sisters than we were more like cousins. So it was really cool. But over at my grandmother's house, my grandmother had this really weird rule. What she would do on Christmas is we had to open up our gifts one at a time in order from youngest to oldest, including the adults. This took forever. We're a bunch of sugared up kids. We've had a bunch of fudge and pies and punch, and we just wanted to tear open our presents, but we couldn't because of the rule. And what was making it even better is that we would get like the youngest cousin, the one that really couldn't read just yet, and they had to hand out the gifts. And so it took forever because they're walking their gifts over to the mom. What's that name? What's that name? And so it took like 45 minutes just to get the gifts handed out. And then we had to wait. They opened it. Oh, great. Snap picture. They open it. They open it. Finally, I get terrible. Open it. They open it. They open it. They open it. And then, you know, like 20 minutes later, it gets back to my turn. And it took forever. What kind of evil criminal mastermind comes up with a plan like that? Right? And when I always swore that when I'm a grandparent and I make the rules and Christmas is at my house... I was going to do the same thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's something about it. I mean, maybe it is fun watching the kids squirm, but also build some integrity, right? We've got to raise up this next generation. So speaking of all the family that was around during this season, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor T had this really cool uh, antique table up on the stage. And around that table, he had these little name cards. And on the name cards were the emotions of some of the things that we could face with our family that we see during the holidays. Anytime we had this, you know, extended family comes together, there's these emotions around the table. And it was super interesting to see or to have a visual of what that actually looks like, to see all those different emotions. And there, there's so many different personalities that exist within our family, not just our families. I mean, you just take a look around. We're all different. We all process different. What you think is funny, they think is annoying. Congratulations. Welcome to the human race. That's just how we are. We're all wired different. Our God is very creative, and he's not going to make everyone exactly the same. He likes variety. Amen? All right, so... 
our families are a bit of a microcosm of what we see in a much larger scale out in this world. When we leave the safety of our families, though, the gloves are off. Everything is ratcheted up. If you're a Spinal Tap fan, it's cranked to 11. Everything is more raw and real, and the backstabbing has life-altering consequences, and it can be really dangerous out there in that world. In our families, it's a lot easier to be civil. In the world, the gloves are off. Lines are drawn in the sand. I'm going to win. I'm going to get out in front because I have to beat the other person because if they win, I don't. And that's life. And we get stuck in the middle of that. So I want to ask a question. When did we allow our sense of self to override our call to love one another? It's not many people's intention to be hateful or hurtful. Sometimes it just happens. And you just go on about life like nothing ever happened. And I wish I could say that those of us who follow Jesus... Those of us who have given our lives to him and have accepted that great commission, I wish I could say that we're immune to this. I'm sorry to say that we're not. Sometimes we Christians can be amongst the worst offenders. Sometimes we can go to those people out in this world that don't know Jesus and that refuse to know Jesus because of the hypocrites. And we perpetuate that. That word hypocrites, it loves get, uh, to get thrown out in the world around us. We perpetuate that, and we don't even realize it sometimes. So the Bible is a really great place to find wisdom. Whenever I talk to their youth on Sundays or uh, circles of friends, that's something that gets brought up often. I mean, any situation that you can face in life, whether it's relationships, family, business, finances, whatever, you can get wisdom in God's word within the Bible if you just open the pages, if you just look for it. The book of Ephesians, for instance, is a really, really great read that spells it out. It's a fairly short book, but there's so much wisdom in it, so much guidance within that book that if you were just to sort of go in and structure your life to follow what it says, you're going to be setting yourself up on a pretty good path for success. Let's check out Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, this message was directly towards Christians. It was meant for Christians. Now, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you're just here because you were promised lunch, because you were the one of the ones that traveled, after you got to go to church to get lunch, so you're promised that, so that's why you're here. If you're joining us online out of curiosity, you're just checking this out, this doesn't go, this doesn't, you know, affect you. Because you can't know or follow or adjust your behavior for something that you just don't know yet. For those of us who know Jesus and have chosen to trust and follow him, we're supposed to build those bridges. We're not supposed to put up those walls. The world does a really good job of building walls already. It doesn't need us jumping in to help out. So here's the thing. I love my family, quirks and all. But I'm not just talking about my relatives. I'm talking about this family. There are people in this room 
There are people backstage. There's people out here in the parking lot, serving out in the halls that I view in the same light as family. I would call them at 2 a.m. because I know they're not going to get mad at me because they love me that much to be there for me. And I would do the same for them. And we're all different. We all have our quirks. We're all wired differently. So when viewing people through that light out in the world, through the light of family, if we view them as not a stranger that's different, that lives life different, maybe I don't approve of. Instead, yeah, they're different and quirky, so am I, but they're family and I love them. What would future Christmases look like if we adjusted the way that we see people? If we adjusted the way that we talk people? If we adjusted the way we thought about them? What do future Christmases look like? Do we extend the olive branch to those who think and act differently than us? Or do we just sort of sit back and we rely on the marketing efforts of the church and social media posts? We have a girl that's over our social media. She does a great, great job. But do we rely on her efforts posting a couple of times a week to, to save the lost? I'm not sure it can happen like that. Look, this family, God's church, God's family is intended to grow, but it cannot happen passively. This is something that requires intentional effort, and it doesn't happen if God's people are on the sideline. We have to be in the game. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is known as the Great Commission. If you're a Christian, you've probably heard about this for a while, right? It's one of those sort of foundational things you get when you start being a Christian. But also, if you're a Christian, you're a product of the Great Commission. Pretty cool proof of concept, right? It works really, really well. Let's check it out, starting with verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So this world beyond these walls that is where Jesus is calling us to go. We're supposed to go out there. This world is actively fighting against God's church. Look on social media. They're not even trying to hide the ball. Some of the values and beliefs that we share are openly mocked and ridiculed. And if you believe them and you publicly show them, well, suddenly you're a bigot. Suddenly you're a racist. Suddenly you're all the ists. Because you're a Christian, the world is actively fighting against that. And it happens. Satan doesn't like us to reach other people. So he's going to use everything in his power to try and smear us and slander us. That's the world that we're in, but it's the world that we're called to go to. Listen, Jesus didn't tell us to only bring this good news to certain types of people. We got to understand that. He didn't teach us to go to, wait for it, controversy here, the Republicans, the Democrats. <gasps> I can't believe you said that. The light skin, the dark skin, the red hair. Who cares? He didn't give us anything to tell us to go to any specific type of people. Check this out. John 3.16 is probably one of the most famous pieces of scripture, even amongst people who aren't even believers, because it's something you throw up at a football game. That's why they do it. They don't really know what it means, but let's check this out. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So that everyone who believes, what does that mean? Everyone, as in no distinction, no separation, everyone. He cares for us far too much to put some blanket brand of love and he loves us all. 
including the people who don't know him yet. That's where we come into play. Us believers, those that the Great Commission apply to until we can reach those others and they also start following that. But here's the the thing. There's a really big distinction between making a disciple and making someone who's going to help keep the pews from floating away. There's a big difference between making a disciple and then keeping the chairs warm for the next service. We have to be active. We can't be on the sidelines. We have to be out in the world because that is what Jesus has told us to do. A disciple is one you actively engage with, you grow with, you study with, you do life with one another. When you invest with someone like that, you increase the chance that this world won't be able to grab their claws around them and pull them back down again. You help out. As they grow, you help maintain a level of accountability. You do life with one another. You help pick them up. You ask questions. You do life together. But here's the good part. When they become a believer and they become a little bit more mature in there, they want to start spreading that word, building disciples, because you were faithful and you poured into their lives and you coached them and you invested in them. They know what it looks like to have a disciple. And they start doing the same thing. They perpetuate that example. And then those people start building other disciples. It works really where you get to actively see the kingdom growing, but it doesn't happen unless you invest, unless you get off the sidelines. After the first of the year, we're going to be doing group leader signups again for a brand new season of connection groups in this brand new year. We've had a lot of people on their connection cards writing that you want to join connection groups, and we're ready to hit this ground running hard in 2022. And these groups have a chance to be absolutely life-altering. They were in mine. It played such a big part in my walk. But you have to be invested in. You have to be committed to attending and growing within those groups. So those are in them. Wide group of people. You're going to have people that are one-week Christians, and you're going to have people that are decades Christians. And you're all going to be studying God's Word. But here's what's cool about God's Word is that it's the living Word. It sort of changes based on where you are in life. God reveals something to you new within His Word. Something that you could have memorized and you've read so many different times. You got it cold. Something that these, the people who've been in there for a couple decades can kind of get stuck in. They got it cold. They, got it, they know it. But then this person over here that may only be a weak Christian, week long, God shows them something different. And you bring it up in a group and you discuss it and it blows their mind because they got so used to looking at it a certain way, they didn't have that new perspective. So it's people like that getting together, growing together. For some of you, this message about making disciples is really tough. Maybe the Christianity thing is brand new to you. You don't know enough. I've heard it said many times, what if I say something wrong? That's okay. You can actually use this to help somebody else. Because as, as we pursue God, we always learn. We're always going to grow. We're never going to get to a place where we have it cold and we, have it, we know the Bible inside and out and know God's will inside and out. We're always going to be growing. He's always going to be stretching us. But as we go through this and as we learn, you're going to be able to use these moments to help somebody that may be actually trying to poke holes in your faith. 
Someone who is going through and they actively want to put you down. They actively want to pull you down. They're trying to stump you to make you sort of abandon your faith for a moment. You could use these moments of like, you know what? Be honest. I don't know. I don't know. I've actually, I've only been in there for a little while. I don't know. I'm excited to learn. Would you want to learn with me? I'm happy to research with researches because I want to know too. You want to do it with me? You can turn this into an invitation for someone who is actively trying to break down the kingdom. Because we're supposed to extend that olive branch, not put up the walls, not get offended and push them away because they question something that they don't know about. And you're still learning it. Maybe you got a dark past. Maybe it's one that you're not so proud of. You feel like that you have been disqualified for doing any good for the kingdom because you feel like you're too broken or you're too dirty. It's just something you can't do. I need, you, I need you to grasp this real quick. And if you're online, I need, you, I need you to grasp this real quick. That is a lie straight from the enemy. He wants to keep you on the sidelines and from making a difference. Because he knows you can make a difference. And I know you can make a difference. You know why? Because you're here. You're still breathing. You got up. You came here. God's not done with you yet if you still have breath in your lungs. So I know that you're meant for something special. No matter what's your past. Maybe it's a broken home. You battle addiction, self-harm. Listen, your past is your past, but it doesn't define who you are. If you give it to Jesus, he can make something beautiful out of it. Because there's a lot of, you may, be, you may already know this, there's a lot of broken people out there. Satan uses the same tricks over and over again. Addiction, whatever, abuse, violence, it's all out there. And if you've been through it, if you've faced it, Jesus can use that within you to reach them. You can let them know that there's hope. You may still carry your scars, but they're going to build credibility if Jesus is using them. They're not going to be able to just look at you and say they don't know what they're talking about because they haven't faced the same things that I've faced. It builds credibility. You can use them to honor God. As I was studying for this message, you know, the Great Commission and all the events that led up to it, I stumbled across a realization that I had never really seen before. You know, this goes back to the whole living word thing. Things that I have read before and never seen that certain perspective. So Jesus appeared and he spoke with many people after his resurrection. I think the Bible says somewhere to the tune of around 500 or so. But one thing that's interesting is that in John 21, he shows his scars to Thomas. Thomas actually touched his scars, stuck his fingers in the wound in his side from the spear. Jesus did not come back perfect. He didn't choose to eliminate his scars, his wounds. He didn't choose to do that. I mean, he could have. It was well within his power. He you know, healed the blind and you know, the crippled and he turned water into wine. Miracles are sort of his thing. And Oh yeah, he's the son of God. He can do this, but he didn't. The Bible doesn't make mistakes. Now, Jesus was with his disciples after he was resurrected. He's standing victorious, yet he's still carrying his scars. 
on his hands, his feet, his side, his head. He's still carrying his scars. And he wasn't doing it to say, I want pity. I went through that torture. I was abused that much because of you. He didn't do that. He wasn't seeking pity. He wasn't trying to prove how tough he was either. I know a lot of us guys, we got, you know, we are littered with scars, you know, tattoos with cooler stories. We want to show them off. We want to brag on it. We want to brag on how much pain that we just endured. He wasn't doing that. That's not his personality. No, no, no. He was proven. He was who he said that he was. The enemy gave it his best shot and lost he said, he's telling him, look, your sins are paid for. I know, you were, I know you felt lost. I know you felt scared. I know you felt like you didn't know what to do, like you wanted to go back to your old life. But catch this, we won. We won. Now, go tell everyone about this. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I'm excited that Jesus would love me that much, that he would do that much for me. That, whew, I'll tell you what, man, I, y'all should shout about that one, let me tell you. So, you're hearing that, you're excited, you're energized, you're ready to go out into this world, you're ready to hit those doors, you're ready to tell that first person you see about Jesus. You're ready to jump on the phone, call that person that maybe you started the conversation with before. You're going to keep it going, you pick up where you left off, and you're going to share the news about Jesus. But what happens a month down the road? What happens two months, three months? What happens when the world starts to crowd back in and it creates a bit of a fog, a little bit of a dust storm, kind of makes you lose track of them? What then? When work demands so much time of you that church is a chore, when the kids start making bad decisions, when the marriage feels a little rocky and you're not sure what you're going to do, what then? Did you know that Jesus' parents lost track of him? Could you imagine? Literally, angels went to each of them saying, Hey, great news. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be pumped. You're going to have a kid. No, you're a virgin. You're going to have a kid. It's going to be great. He's going to be the son of God. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to, you know, free all the sins. It's going to be, it's going to be great. You're going to be so pumped. And he's so jazzed. And he goes away. And 12 years later, you lose Jesus. How do you have that conversation with God? So... <laughs> Um, let's take a look at Luke 2, 41 through 49. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started at home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening... They started looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. Now, I want to pause there for a moment. One thing to keep in mind about this situation is that Mary and Joseph weren't being negligent. When they would travel from these big festivals, there'd be large groups of people heading into different directions because it was safer that way. And you would, uh, you know, it wasn't like 440 back in the day. These roads were bad. They were, they were dirt roads or rutted out. And there were going to be multitudes of animals, all their bedding material. And back in the day, they were all about the big family. So kids everywhere, right? And so you would have all of these kids running around, screaming, laughing, playing, 
the men would be with, with, with the men, the women would be with the women, the kids would either be with either or, and it would have been absolutely chaotic. With roads that dusty, because it's a pretty dry area, it would have been all, all over the place. It would have been in their hair, on their clothes, on them, in, in the air. It would have been absolutely maddening. It was chaotic, absolutely chaotic. Basically, they just got caught up in the buzz of the moment. The moment was so intrusive into their lives in that instant that they just lost track of where he would have been. So let's keep going with verse 45. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Did you know that I must be in my father's house? When they realized they had lost him, they stopped what they were doing and they searched for him. See, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is never lost. He can't get lost. But you and me, we're flawed individuals. It's pretty easy for us to lose track and to get lost. The trick is to find him when we lose track of what we're supposed to do. The trick is to seek him out. But this is where having Christian brothers and sisters comes into play. This is the ones, these are the people that are going to know us. They've been doing life with us. And if they know that you haven't been around, you haven't been talking, they're going to be reaching out. They're going to be showing up at your door, knocking on, like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? How's everything going? How's the family? When you've been following Jesus and you get lost and you trip and you fall on the side of the road, they're going to be the ones that say, wait a second, where's John at? Have you seen Cindy? Let's go find them. Let's go see how they're doing. What do they need? Can we help them? That's where the Christian brothers and sisters were supposed to be at. Going back to the thought that I had earlier, as we're looking at future Christmases, you and I play such a huge role in actually how that shapes up. This year in 2020 struck a blow to people's faith. It tripped them up in their walks. They were isolated from the people that they relied upon. They got used to the seclusion and they started figuring out, well, I can do this on my own. That's fine. You know, I'll watch online. It's going to be really good. And they never walked away from that. And the next thing you know, that fell off in the priority list. And now they just think that they can do it on their own. That's a very, very scary place to be in a world that doesn't want you, that doesn't like you. This isn't a numbers conversation by any means, but you know, prior to 2020, you know, I talked in the beginning about how we went through all these building campaigns. It was great. We were running prior to 2020 anywhere, you know, around a thousand people on any given Sunday, sometimes a little bit more through this church. And it was, it was pretty awesome. And then, you know, post where we're at now, we're running at about 70%. And praise God, we've been very fortunate. There have unfortunately been many churches across this nation who had, had to shut their doors. Because people just lost this as a priority in their lives. They lost the need for a savior in their lives. And it just wasn't priority. You know, in the beginning, you know, for a time back in 2020, we actually had to 
We didn't know much about this virus or pandemics. We never faced anything like this. So we actually shut our doors for a little bit of time. And we opened back up to the tune of 50%. That was a big blow. And I could have just imagined the weight on pastor's shoulders as he's preaching to a crowd that is much thinner than it typically would be. Knowing that there are people out there that are hurting and that they're lost and that they're scared and he wants to be there for them. That's a hard weight to carry. We are seeing the numbers going up though. There's a lot of people moving to this area. There's a lot of people that are seeking a local body of believers to grow with and to do life with. And we're super excited. We're praising Jesus every single day that there are people that we can reach, people that we can talk to. Like I said before, if you've got lung, air in your lungs, God's not done with you yet. What's cool about this is that we know this great commission thing. We know it can be done because Jesus is the one who told us to do it. And here's what's great. This whole conversation has been about discipleship, building Christian brothers and sisters, surrounding yourself with other believers, building each up, reaching the lost. When you do that, you have them to help hold you accountable, help build you up, help lift you up. When you're feeling down and you're feeling like the world is kind of taking a, taking a step up in victory, you know that they can pull you up and say, that's a lie because we've already won. We're just trying to tell everybody else about it. And oh yeah, by the way, you have God's Holy Spirit. And when I was talking about that mature Christian, the one who's been doing it for a couple decades, they get the same Holy Spirit as the one that has been a week-long Christian. Or perhaps the seconds-long Christian. Someone who may have heard something in this service with the worship team, up here on stage, whatever. The Holy Spirit has moved something within your heart and you may be a brand, brand new Christian. It's the same Holy Spirit. There's no level up. There's no tears. There's no youth version of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And He's there with you to strengthen you, to give you wisdom, to help you through this. Don't wait for a New Year's resolution to tell people about Jesus. No one is promised tomorrow. This can be the day that you change somebody's life. Don't put that off. If you can, let's, let's bow our heads. And for those of you who join us online, I really want you to join us as well. We're all going to do this together. As we're looking at the last few days of this year, I think there are many of us who are realizing that perhaps we've been keeping a distance from those that we don't agree with. Maybe, you know, people that in our lives that we could be reaching out. Maybe, maybe that person is someone you work with. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's, maybe it's a friend that you haven't actually talked to in a while because you discovered that they sort of have a different belief structure than you. They think different things than you. And it's, it's just not something you want to be a part of. For others, maybe you've been walking this Christian path for a while, but you're beginning to look around and you realize that you've been going on for so long, you don't even know who you were following anymore. Maybe you've been on autopilot that you've inadvertently lost sight of the Savior that you started out following, but you look up and he's, he's just not there. You've just been going through the motions, doing the things. The religion side took over the relationship side. You lost track of Jesus. And as we pray, I want you to be honest about where you are in your walk and how you've been following his commission to us and to love those around you. I want you to be very honest with yourself about that. Father, this is an interesting time to be alive. We have distractions in our pockets, on our wrists, and, and everywhere we look, it seems to want us to pick a side. 
Hate one, love another. Break one down, elevate another. Lord, I pray that you pour into us a renewed drive to show people the love that you have already shown us. I pray for the courage to look past the difference we see in each other so that we can see them through the eyes that you see them. And as we keep praying, without looking around, there may be those of you who would acknowledge honestly that you, you don't know God yet, but you want to. You want that deep relationship with him. Maybe you've been doing all the steps, going through all the motions, but you realize that they were just actions and you didn't really know him. And if that's you without anyone looking around, if you can, just put your hands up. Just put a hand up. And if you're joining us online, put that in the comments because there are so many people on there that would be that will surround you in prayer, even digitally. We're doing this together. Is there anybody else? All right, we're going to say this prayer together. Nobody in this house prays alone. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive my sins. Save me, Lord. Make me new. As you have loved me, I choose to love you. I give you my entire life. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you and walk with you and know your goodness and share your goodness. Thank you for new life. I give mine to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's give our great God some praise this morning, church. Good morning, Freedom Church. I am so glad that you guys tuned in with us this morning. Listen, if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know about it. We want to celebrate with you. So we have an online connection card. You can click the link in the description of the video that you're watching right now. Um, let us know about it. Let us know that you accepted Christ as your Savior. Um, and also if you made any other next steps, whether you know you want to be baptized or you want to join a connection group or you want to start serving, let us know about it. We want to connect with you even though right now we're online we would just love to continue to connect with you through this season all right what's well, one of our favorite parts of the service yes i did say favorite parts we are going to give back to god you know the reason that god calls us to give with open hands is so that he can just continue to pour back into us we want to be faithful with what he's given us so if you're ready to give your tithe or offering you can find links for that you can go on our app to give um, and you can visit our website you can also do it the old-fashioned way you can write a check you can mail it to freedom church 1010 freedom church road in gallatin tennessee or you can just drop it by the church during the week during our office hours monday through thursday so we just are so glad that you watched with us today um, we hope you tune back in next week and we'll see you soon